When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, welcome to Pop Culture Confidential, and welcome back to one of my favorite critics, the immensely talented senior culture reporter at Huffington Post, Candace Frederick. Thank you so much for joining me again. Thank you for having me. So we're going to talk about Blonde, (laughs) the much-discussed Andrew Dominic-directed adaptation of Joyce Carol Oates' novel. So the film premiered at Venice on September 9th and had its global premiere on Netflix last Wednesday. Candice, first, what are your general thoughts on the movie? Mm, I have a lot of thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I... You know, I keep, my thoughts are evolving (laughs) consistently. Like I watched it, I think for the first time. And I remember when I watched it, it's so weird. Even the conversation has also evolved. I remember people loved it in Venice. And I was just like, in which I always temper my expectations because festival reactions tend to be inflated. (laughs) I don't know if it's just like the, the, just like the atmosphere and being among like all these other movie heads or something, but I, um, when I finally saw it, I was just like, I don't, I don't feel like I hate it as much as everyone else (laughs) seems to, seems to, but I also think it has a lot of issues. Like, I think that, um, there are shots that are just like, there are shots and there are moments in the, in throughout the movie that I'm just like, this should have been directed by a woman because I think I know what he's trying to do here. I think I know what he's trying to say about, the perils of female celebrity. I think in any era that would resonate, particularly um, in this era of Marilyn Monroe and particularly with Marilyn Monroe specifically in the way in which the almost like vampiric fascination with her. I think all of that is really interesting. I don't think any of it is particularly new. I think that the film presents itself as saying something new and poignant. I don't think it's doing either thing. I also think that I, I say that it, sh- it should have been written, written and directed by a woman, like the actual screenplay, because it seems this is a movie about a woman, but it seems more about a man looking at a woman. And I didn't really feel Marilyn felt very distant in this story. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I was just like, your message, I, which I think I comprehend, but it's getting lost in just the sheer maleness of it, of the, yeah. of the story. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like the way it's shot, the way it's told, she mostly has guys around her. I, you know, when we talk about, I doubt this is like a story about her interiority, but I'm curious about her interiority. Like who are her friends who were people who she talked to in moments of distress, which she consistently seems to be in throughout this movie. Oh, all the time. Yeah, I think that 
I think that that's something that a woman would, would a question that a woman filmmaker would have raised. I mean, I don't know if it would have been a better film, but I think it, well, I don't think it would have, I don't know if it would have been a good film, but it definitely would have been a better film. It's a head scratcher to me also why he omitted those things. I came to this film with real open arms and high expectations. Mm -hmm. I'm, an, I'm a fan of the novel. I was a fan of his film, The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, which is also dealing with the myth mythology of celebrity. And, but this just left me sad from beginning to end. And like you said, I was also been marinating it over a couple of weeks and it just doesn't get better. For me, he stripped her of her talent, her agency, of her clothes, of her, I mean, she's just mm -hmm. crying through every scene, dragged and battled. And I don't believe that Marilyn or Norma Jean had so little agency. Manola Dargis in, in the New York Times had a great line where she said, Dominic is so far up Marilyn Monroe's vagina in Blonde that he can't see the rest of her. Mm -hmm. For some reason, he's chosen none of the nuances from the novel. It is a work of fiction and should be interpreted as such. And I think the people that are defending the movie think we should interpret it as a novel. And fine, let's do that. But his work of fiction lacks empathy. And I don't know, as you're saying, what's new about it and why we should be watching two hours and 45 minutes of a woman getting tortured <laughs> and, and never having any sort of respite to see her, you know, talent and agency. And I really have been struggling to understand what he wanted. It feels like he had Jung and Freud in, in the writer's room and they were like, yes, well, ooh, mommy issues, daddy issues, talking fetuses, it's a bit simplistic. <laughs> so I really came to it wanting to like it and, and, and um, struggling to sort of figure out what he wants to say and find it more exploitative than a, a, a work of fiction about exploitation. Yeah, it does. I I do think that it is a, a story about exploitation. I think that that resonates with me. I think that's a strong point. I think it's its only strong point. I, I just, you know, again, I don't think that's a particularly new angle. I, th I don't even think that's a new angle when we talk about Marilyn Monroe. I think that's been made clear many times across the decades in books and in films <laughs> and yes <laughs> yeah I think that you know and you mentioned daddy's issues that is extremely a male point of view extremely male <laughs> like the amount of times that she calls every man in her life which is like literally the only man the only people in her life are men with the exception of her mom that we see and and she's never like a good person <laughs> to her so it's like the one female presence in her life is is terrible and so which begs the question just like does she have a fear or misgivings about you know female relationships i question whether that's true it seems to be true in this story Reading what others have said, it's not true. She seemed to have a, a, quite a group of female friends and several people who followed her through her you know, celebrity years that she went to to talk to people like Judy Garland and even closer. I mean, he removed things like she did have female friends. She started a production company. Um, she did a whole bunch of things that wasn't interesting for him. Now we have read a few interviews with him this past few weeks, for one, which sort of confirms that he 
really wanted to omit these things, that he's not very interested in her career and was mostly interested in, in, in exploring someone who kills themselves, which he said several times. What do you make of the Christina Newland sight and sound interview? I think he has, to his credit, if I can credit one thing, I think he has an interest in really making us gaze at the way in which exploitation is rampant within female celebrity. I don't think he has an interest in Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> and I think I think it's it's interesting because and I and I haven't read the book, so I don't know if this if an impetus for the book is and and the story overall is like this sense of just like it's not really about Marilyn Monroe. It's really about how like our relationship with a type of Marilyn Monroe. And so that's what I, I, I'm really trying to take away from it. And I think that gets across, but I think in his interviews, he, you know, again, he seems to have no interest in Marilyn Monroe, particularly, um, which is interesting to make a movie about a person that you're not particularly interested in. Um, but also, you know, it goes back to my question of this, is this is even a story about Marilyn Monroe? This is just a story about any, like insert any female celebrity name here. I understand what you're saying, but if you're doing that, that works maybe in the novel because it's different to read and to get her into interior dialogue. But here, when you're doing a film, it's really hard to to keep telling people this is not about Marilyn Monroe, if that's his point. I mean, yeah. <laughs> the biopickiness yeah. comes through. It does because it's her story. I mean, so much of it um, does ring true. I think more stuff rings true than what doesn't. And I, it's, it's, so yeah, that's what I, I, I came away from this like general distaste for Marilyn Monroe and women like Marilyn Monroe, which again, is very weird. So that really, you know, when we talk about this sense of empathy, he's kind of admits that he doesn't have any of that <laughs> for, for her. <laughs> Christina Nolan does a really good job of giving him time and really asking questions, sort of why did you not include these things about her production company or things like that? And, and his quote is, that stuff is not what I'm interested in. It's about a person who's going to kill themselves. So it's trying to examine the reason that they do that. It's not looking at her lasting legacy. And then Christina put in another outtake from their interview where he actually asks her, does anyone watch any Marilyn Monroe movies? He actually calls Gentlemen Prefer Blondes a movie about well-dressed whores. Yeah, I don't think that he needs to like her movies. I don't even like all her movies. I don't even think that she has, she always delivers a, a great performance. But I do think that, <laughs> you know, again, with that just sense of distaste, this this lack of interest, like... It is weird for a director <laughs> who uh, is making a movie about her. And I think the horse part is really what stood out to me. It really sealed like, oh, you don't care. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like, like you've, you've, not only do you not care, you actually have a distaste for her and, and other people like her and aren't afraid to say that. <laughs> like, like that's, really strange. I think this sense of this is a story about why she basically was killing herself, which is debatable, but I, I, and I do think, you know, her addictions 
for sure got the best of her. Um, I don't think the, the story, the movie actually answers that question why she did that. I don't even know. And maybe I just don't recall this part in the movie. I don't know. And I've seen other movies that better explain her decision, her agency to choose Marilyn Monroe over Norma Jean. I don't remember a lot of that process in this movie and why, um, like that that transition. It just was like she's traumatized child, Norma Jean, mm-hmm. and then a couple of scenes later, she's an adult Marilyn Monroe who looks entirely different. Um, and I think understanding that transition is one part of answering the question that he thinks he's answering in this movie that he's not. And just being consistently abused and disgraced and just the fact that she like cries through the entire film. She cries when she's doing auditions and she's cried after auditions and before. And I mean, it just feels like not one minute there's a sense of pride. He's not interested in that, which feels fake at the end. I was thinking about another movie that I know both you and I like, and that's the Sinead O'Connor documentary. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. where she has sort of a similar, has a mother who really, really was awful and abusive to her. And in this documentary, we learn about this horrible childhood she has and her talent and what she did and the missteps she took and how difficult it was, self-destructive behavior. But that lens Mm -hmm. is per talent. The hardships she suffered, we understand even more incredible achievement it was for her to get through that childhood and make it to the other side and how people have been using and abusing her but she's still a force. Marilyn was just dragged around and ultimately died. I mean that's my it's just interesting how the director looks at this person. Yeah I mean I think also with the Sinead documentary it actually answers the question like what why why something happened and what led to that. And that's not really answered. <laughs> like, again, just to, if, if I'm just going by what Andrew Dominic thinks this film is about, why she killed herself, that's not answered. Why Sinead did what she did, which is kind of like the culminating uh, point in the documentary, why she ripped up a picture of the Pope, there's an answer to that. Like, and there's a long, lengthy answer to that. And it's complex and it's, uh, you know, complicated. There's no answer to that in the Maryland uh, the blonde. And so like, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. And I, and, and I think even like when we're talking about, when you were talking about this sense of like, she's constantly being tortured and she's crying all the time. It doesn't really give me 
that doesn't that doesn't really give me the sense of a really great performance. I think that um, Ana de Armas did exactly what the, the assignment called for, um, but I don't think that that to me is an interesting, that makes it an interesting performance. I think it's the performance that this movie required, um, but I don't, I, I still don't think it's particularly interesting. I know people are saying that she's like the silver lining in the movie, and I'm just, I question that. What do you make of Planned Parenthood? They went out yesterday or the day before and and talked about it as being a pro-life propaganda film. That conversation has been really strange to me just because I think, honestly, I think it gives the film too much credit. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> the film isn't, isn't strong enough to really make any statement. Certainly not that one. I think the talking fetus part, which I think a lot of people have been focusing on, and the fact that she was forced or compelled to have um, an abortion against her will and had deep regret about that doesn't ring pro-life to me. It just this is a very specific story. Maybe she did feel that way. I think the talking fetus is just weird, but I also think a lot of things in this movie is weird. I don't think, you know, yeah, well, I don't the think- the vagina shot in the first abortion is weird too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I think I think that gives the film way too much credit. I don't think it's making any statements at all, certainly not any new ones. And I don't think, yeah, I'm, I'm curious, what do you think about that? I don't think his intent or the movie's intent is to be pro-life propaganda. I just think it was really badly executed, badly done. And, and the, the fetus is almost a full-grown baby saying, you know, saying things like, don't kill me. Just too obvious psychobabble. There's no proof that, you know, she felt this way or that these things happened. And so it feels like something he's layered on that, oh, that she was sad about this or another thing that everyone made her do, all these abortions, that she had no agency. I don't know the answer to this. Right. And I think that, you know, the whole just like, oh, she really wanted to be a mother and she's felt felt lacking that she um, never became a mother, which may or may not have been true, but the fact that these, the interiority, because I feel like this sense of like label daddy's issues and oh, she never had a child, the, that is such an extremely male perspective that a woman, again, wouldn't have thought of. Just like you, like this sense of like, oh, she never had a real guy in her life. That's something a guy would say. Oh, she never became a mother. That's something a guy would say. That's, that's like if you're like you're you're so aggressively putting such a male perspective on it, and it's so oppressive on this movie that nothing else can be said. Like you're not making any space to make any real statements, and certainly not to have an actually good story that feels like we get to know her a little bit better. And I don't think it's one. This isn't a biopic per se. It doesn't have to be like constantly flattering of her. She did things that are still baffling. <laughs> Absolutely. And the novel isn't either. I was prepared for it to be, you know, harsh, mm -hmm. but not completely without her having any sort of agency at all. Mm -hmm. I think it's my yeah. biggest thing with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The questions are still 
unanswered. The questions as he has posed them are still right. unanswered. You're really good at horror films and the horror genre. I was wondering what you, how you feel about with Spencer and with this. There's a whole bunch of male auteurs looking at women, celebrity women caught in fame with a lot of horror tropes, which both Lorraine did in Spencer and maybe a bit in Jackie as well in this one. What do you make of that? I've never considered that. I think the conversation around horror has become so interesting because a lot of people who, a lot of people who are kind of now watching or appreciating horror for the first time are applying horror labels on things that are not particularly horror. And I think things like true crime or things like um, the two examples that you have, I think there's a difference between what is horrifying and what is horror. Very different motivations, but I think that there, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, there could be some impetus for a filmmaker to be like, oh, to it's almost like they might be cognizant of the idea that people are actually have have an interest in, in making something a bit more horrific or angling it more horrifically than the reality. I think with Spencer, it was interesting because it, it does get dark. It does get this sense of like psychological music sort of tropes or, or horror genre elements in this drama to make like when she's running down the corridor and you know I don't know I think a lot of directors think that you can do an interesting psychological study while by using Hearth. Yeah, and it's women are always uh, just an easy thing for them to like uh, mythologize in that horror context. Um, because also horror, it's like the actual horror genre has cut, almost consistently done that with women, um, but in a very different and I think better way. Yeah, I think there's a grotesqueness to Blonde. And I think maybe that could be where this sense of like, oh, this is this borrows perhaps from horror tactics. It's so convoluted and so long, like to get a point, to try to answer a question and you have nearly three hours to do it and you still don't do it. It's just like, gosh, that was such a waste of time. <laughs> and, and, and I keep on going back to Anna Darmus's, uh performance because I'm just, was it worth it? <laughs> I mean, I mean, she seems really proud of it and she should be in certain respects. Um, but I just wish it that, she was playing a human. I don't think that she's playing a human. I think she's playing a character, but you're also being playing a character that's based off of a human. Which I think is what they would say. Yeah, that's weird. Marilyn Monroe was a character. It was a built off of what the audience wanted. Like you were saying at the top of, of the show that she's a construct being violated again and again and again and again. I wanted something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want. I wanted something humanistic. You are mm -hmm. telling us a human. I think that. I don't think there's anything wrong with telling a story about exploitation, though. It's Absolutely not. not. I mean, he doesn't. <laughs> but, I mean, I did. I wasn't expecting a biopic. I mean, the the book yeah. isn't a biopic. He doesn't do biopics. I I was just not expecting the level of disdain that he seemed to have towards mm -hmm. her, and he's welcome to explain it in another way but he hasn't done that in these interviews so that's what's so confounding <laughs> yeah, it really is it really is just like this is our relationship with female celebrity and also like they're the worst anyway <laughs> that's my takeaway 
know. Who cares about it's such a strange thing. So, Candace, is there anything I've missed that you wanted to bring, to bring up? I can't think of anything. This has been really thorough, actually. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you'll come back again. Um, tell the listeners where they can read you and find you. Yeah, I am at HuffPost.com. You can... Um, you can find me on their website or you can Google me. It'll probably send you back to that website where you can just find a whole bunch of my stories. <laughs> and thank you guys for listening. Pop Culture Confidential is a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. See you next time. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss Podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things, from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do, so you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to The Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way.